Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 27. The Bible said, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus in the common hall and gathered in him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put on him his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man, Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. Heavenly Father, I pray now that you'll bless the reading of thy word. Give us liberty these next few moments and may you be glorified. May a sinner be saved and saints be helped. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen, amen. You can be seated this morning. I want you to notice with me when we read this passage that there's four things I want you to see very quickly, one of which I would like to preach on this morning. First of all, I want you to see the soldiers in this passage. The Bible says in verse 27, and the soldiers of the governor took Jesus in the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And what I want you to see about these soldiers that this band of soldiers uh, was anywhere, a band of soldiers would be anywhere from 400 to 600 men. They're going to mock Jesus in this text. They'll give him three things in this text. In verse 28, the Bible said they gave him a scarlet robe to mock him of his royalty. Then in verse 29, they gave him a crown of thorns to mock him of his reign. And then a reed in his right hand in verse 29 to mock him of his respect and the power of the authority that he claimed to have. So there is the soldiers in this text. And then I want you to notice the Savior. The Bible talks about Jesus here. And what I want you to notice about Jesus in this passage is his silence, that he doesn't say anything. In spite of what the soldiers do to him, our Lord is silent in these verses of Scripture. Then we see his submission as he does not fight against them. He just stands there and he takes their blows. He takes their, their intimidation. He takes their taunting as they gather around him. And then I notice his strength. I, I thought about Jesus in this text, how strong he must have been to, to have been able to stand there before these soldiers and to withstand the punishment and the brutality that he endured. Now I want to tell you, Jesus was not some limp-wristed, uh, listen, sodomite of a Jesus that we, the world makes him out to be. He was 33 and a half years old and at 33 years of age, a man is in the prime of his life and what that means is is that his physically his strength has peaked out. I believe Jesus was as in much physical strength as what a man could be in. I believe that our Savior, he was a carpenter, grew up in a carpenter's shop. Uh, he walked the rugged hillsides. He preached in the desert. He fasted 40 days. Jesus was fit and Jesus was trim and he endured the agony and the brutality of these soldiers. We see his strength and then I can't help but notice his self-control that in this text, Jesus uh, takes on everything that they throw at him, but he does not retaliate. He does not try to do anything in return. He remains focused, he remains faithful, and he remains fearless uh, in the presence of these soldiers. Uh, I mean, when you think about these soldiers, they were no match for him, amen? I mean, Jesus, by his own word, by his own power, and by angelic powers within themselves, uh, uh, they were still the minority and Jesus could have spoke one word and annihilated every one of them. Yet he kept under himself 
his control and he remained calm in the midst of adversity. Jesus shows great commitment and dedication to do the will of God no matter what man does to him. I see the Savior. I see the suffering in this text in verse 27. These soldiers surrounded him. The whole band of soldiers is around Jesus. In verse 28, they stripped him. In verse 29, they scoffed him. In verse 30, they spit upon him, the Bible says. In verse 30, they smote of him upon his head. We do not have the time to expound the tremendous amount of suffering that Jesus faced, blow after blow upon his body. I'm talking about very strong men punching him and beating him upon his back and his rib cage, grabbing him by the throat and beating him upon the head with the reed that was in his hand and beating him him until he was black and blue and then embarrassing him and humiliating him with a, he was drenched with their own saliva as they spit upon him the suffering of Jesus in this text is beyond our vocabulary before the cross the soldiers, the, the suffering the, the savior but here's what I want to preach on this morning the statement these soldiers make a statement this morning that is a message within itself. In verse number 28, the Bible says here, verse 29, that they planted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him and they mocked him and here's what they said, Hail, King of the Jews. Jesus starts out in verse 27 in a common hall. In verse number 31, he's being led to Calvary. But in that common hall, just before being led to Calvary, they mock him and say, hell, king of the Jews. You know, when you think about that statement this morning, it is a paradox. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Jesus in this text is a peasant. He was raised poor. He was raised as a carpenter's son. He lived his whole life by faith and without hardly anything. He said the foxes have holes and the birds and the fowls of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay down his head. He was very poor. He was a peasant. He wore peasant garments. They, they parted those garments at the cross. And, and so Jesus was a peasant, but yet he was a king also. Isn't that interesting? That within itself is, is a paradox that Jesus was a peasant but yet he was a king. They're mocking. They're taking this peasant man and mocking him as a king. You see, the truth of this text is that Jesus was both. And, and that brings about a great controversy because even though he was a peasant, they're mocking him as a king. And what started out as a taunting later on became a title because Pilate took that title and he put it upon the cross and he said, Jesus, king of the Jews. And it caused a great controversy. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus was both of those. He was a peasant. He was a king. And because he was both, he could be both. You know what? You can't be a peasant and a king at the same time. But Jesus was a kingly peasant. He was that man in this text. And that's what started out as just some foolish rhetoric and later became truth before all to see that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the king of the Jews. Amen. When you think about this, he was a king that became a peasant so that we, a bunch of peasants, could become kings and live with a king 
with King Jesus. Friend, that's what a paradox is. You see, life and literature is full of it today. A paradox is something that seems controversial within itself, but really there's truth within it. It can be seen, a paradox can be seen through rhetoric or through logic. And what I mean by that is something may not sound right or it may not even seem right. It may seem like it's opposites on both ends of the spectrum, but really there is truth within it. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? I mean, we hear paradoxes all the time. Things such as save money by spending it. Now that doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense uh, that you can save money by spending it, but it is a paradox. Uh, there is truth within that, even though it may seem contra- uh, controversial or contrary one to the other. I'm sure you've heard this. Uh, if I know one thing, it's I know nothing. Amen? I mean, that is a paradox. Uh, uh, this is the beginning of the end. Uh, that is another example uh, of a paradox. Uh, here's a paradox for you. Uh, down deep, you're really shallow. Has anybody ever said that to you. I mean, how can you how can you down deep be shallow? It's a paradox. I'm sure you've heard this paradox. Here are the rules. Ignore all rules. It's a paradox. It seems con- contrary to each other, but yet there is truth in it. I want to tell you through the Word of God, there's great paradoxes all throughout the Bible. Exaltation through humility is a paradox. Strength in weakness is a paradox. Receiving through giving, that's a paradox. Freedom through servitude. Gaining through losing. Living through dying is a paradox. I mean, all of this. And these soldiers are mocking Jesus, saying, hell, king of the Jews. They only saw him as a peasant, but he was a king. When you think about the great paradoxes of the word of God, what may sound like a contradiction in rhetoric and what may seem like a contradiction in logic, I want to say, can yet still be true. And what may be a brain teaser to this world uh, is Bible truth to the Christian. Amen? You see, the world does not understand what I'm talking about this morning. Uh, We see things that are unseen. Can I get an amen to that? But the paradox of that is is how can you see something that is unseen? But I think you know what I'm talking about. We conquer by yielding. Uh, We find rest under a yoke. Uh, uh, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me and you shall find what? You shall find rest for your soul. That is a paradox. How can you find rest in a yoke? How can you find your life by losing it? How can you reign by serving? Listen, we're made great by becoming small. We become wise by being fools for Christ. We're made free by becoming bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We triumph through defeat. We find victory in surrender. We live by dying this morning. All of these sound like contradictions. All of these seem like contradictions to the world. Why? Because the rhetoric doesn't sound right and the logic doesn't seem right. But everything I just said to you this morning, you can identify with it if you're saved. What may be a brain teaser, as I said to this world, it is Bible truth to the child of God. And friend, I want to tell you the greatest paradox in all the Bible, in all the pages of the scripture is Calvary within itself. Calvary does not make sense to this world, but Calvary makes sense to us this morning. And in our text is the paradox of Calvary. You say, what do you mean this morning, preacher? I want to say, first of all, I noticed 
the paradox in this text is that Christ came to earth in order that we might go to heaven. Christ came to this earth so that we might go to heaven. Jesus is before these soldiers, but he's not in some distant galaxy somewhere. He's not on heaven's turf this morning, but he's here on earth. He came to earth. He condescended. Why? Why would Jesus leave the portals of glory? Why would he leave the splendor? Why would he leave heaven's best? Why would he leave the majesty? Why would he leave all the tranquility? Why would he leave the angelic choir and the angelic worship? Why would he lay aside that robe and that garment of glory and take up those those peasant clothes and come to a sin-cursed earth for 33 and a half years and be brutalized amongst men. Why would he come to earth? I'll tell you why. Because of the paradox of Calvary so that you and I that are here on earth, we could go to heaven, friend. I want to tell you, Jesus, he suffered it all so that you and I would never have to suffer in eternity. Isn't that a blessing this morning? That is the paradox of Calvary, amen. That's what the Bible said in 1 Timothy chapter number one and verse number 15, Paul said this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Jesus came into this world. Calvary has a physical address. You can go to that hill that the Bible talks about. You can visit the place. There's a spot in this world where the Son of God came and he died on the cross. He came to this earth so that we could go to heaven, amen. That's what he said in John 14 in verse number one, verse number three. And if I go, he said, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. The second paradox in this text is that he was born in the flesh that we might be born in the spirit. He came to earth that we might go to heaven. But Christ was born in the flesh that we might be born in the spirit. In our text, Jesus is suffering in a physical body. He's not a superman in this text. He's not got a glorified body. He's experiencing and he is feeling every pain and agony that the cross uh, and that these soldiers had to offer him. Jesus suffered it all. He was at all points tempted like as we are. Jesus did not come in his majesty. He did not come in his heavenly body, but Jesus came, uh, my friend, as a mortal man, just like every one of you and I are. He took on mortality and he suffered in that mortality. He took on the physical aspect and he suffered in the physical aspect. I think sometimes we forget about the agony that our Savior went through because salvation is easy for us. We forget that the cross was no picnic. The cross was no bed of roses. The cross, my friend, is more agony than any man could ever experience in life. It's more hell than hell itself could ever offer. And Jesus suffered in the flesh that we could be born in the spirit, hallelujah. He was born to die, born in the flesh, so that in John chapter number three, you and I could be born again. The world does not understand that. It is a paradox to them. They do not understand how that a man can be born. Nicodemus asked that very question. He said, how can a man be born a second time? Can he enter into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said this, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. I wanna tell you this morning, 
morning, friend, you've got to be born again if you're gonna go to heaven. The Son of God came to earth so that we could go to heaven. He was born in the flesh so that we could be born in the spirit. Our spirit was dead. I'll tell you, through Jesus Christ, because he came, thank God you and I, our spirit can be quickened. It can be born again. Hallelujah. You see, man is a triune being made in the image of God. And when Adam sinned in the garden, what happened is that Adam's spirit died. His soul began to get darkened and his body began to decay. And the clothes of that were a product of that first Adam. Jesus is not the second Adam because if he was the second Adam, that would imply that there could be a third Adam or a fourth Adam. No, he is the last Adam, amen? That's what the scriptures say. He is the first, but he is the last, thank God. I'll tell you, that spirit is the part of man that allows us to to know God and to enjoy God and to worship God this morning. And when a man's spirit is dead, he don't know God, he don't enjoy God, and he don't worship God. But when it comes alive, he knows God. I want to say I know him this morning. And best of all, he knows me. I enjoy God. A sinner don't enjoy church. They may enjoy a little bit of singing because they like the melody or they like the music, but they don't enjoy church. Uh, but a saved person enjoys it because their spirit's been quickened. Uh, you take a lost person and put them on a dance floor, put them out there with some country music or rock music, oh, they enjoy that because they're dead. The ones singing it, they're dead just like the ones listening to it. But when you get born again, guess what? Everything changes on the inside and so it changes everything thing on the outside. The desire changes. Uh, my friend, because uh, the spirit comes alive, uh, now you know God. Now you enjoy God. And now you want to worship God. Amen. Jesus came born in the flesh that we could be born in the spirit. The paradox of Calvary. He became poor that we might be rich. How can a person become rich through poverty? Through Christ? Christ became poor, 2 Corinthians chapter eight and verse number nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Jesus is as poor in this text as what a man can get in this passage of scripture. He has no finances here. He has no friends. They have all scattered. There's no family standing by him in this common hall. He has no fortune. He has no favor. There's no one standing in his defense. Uh, even the Son of God or the God Himself uh, will turn His face away from the Son, uh, my friend, so that He can turn His face to man, so that we can turn to God and be saved. Uh, that is a paradox within itself. Uh, Calvary became the place of paradox uh, in the fact that Jesus, uh, through poverty, has made all of us rich this morning. Uh, we have the unsearchable riches uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you may not have silver and you may not have gold. Remember when Peter went before that temple and that lame man was there begging alms. He said, silver and gold have I none. Amen. Must have been a Baptist preacher. But such as I have, give I unto thee. He had something better than the riches of this world. 
He didn't have silver. He didn't have gold, but he had God. Amen. He didn't have silver, but he had salvation. Amen. He didn't have riches, but he had redemption. Thank God. I'll tell you, listen, he didn't have money, but thank God he had mercy. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, friend, I'd rather have mercy as to have money. I'd rather have salvation as to have silver. I'd rather have God as to have gold. I'm glad that through the poverty of our Savior, we are rich. We're rich as a king this morning because the peasant who was a king became poor. We who were peasants and poor will one day become kings and we're rich unto God. Hallelujah this morning. The paradox of Calvary in the fact that he was rejected of men in this text. That we might be accepted by God. Jesus suffered the ridicule He suffered this morning the agony. He suffered and endured the mocking in this text. The nation turns against him. Religious leaders turned against him. His own followers uh, disbanded and walked away from him and one betrayed him. Another denied him. Jesus was despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, uh, acquainted with grief. Uh, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Uh, he despised us, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, the Bible says. Uh, he opened not his mouth through it all. Why would Jesus do all of this? Uh, He was willing to be rejected of men that you and I might be accepted by God. The Bible said in John chapter number one and verse number 14, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. Rejected of men, verse 11. But accepted by God in verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become what? The sons of God even to them that believe on his name. Do you know the reason you and I have been accepted is because Christ was willing to be rejected. Nobody likes rejection. Nobody likes to be turned away. Everybody wants to be accepted. Jesus stood there and took the intimidation. Nobody likes to be stared at. Nobody likes to to be made feel unwelcome or unwanted. Jesus was as unwanted and unwelcomed as what a man could ever experience. And though he went through it all, why? Because he wanted us to be accepted by God and his sacrifice was acceptable that day on the cross of Calvary by God. And because of that, you and I can come by way of the cross. The great paradox of Calvary is that Jesus was rejected by men so that we could be accepted by God. I want to say... Another great paradox in our text is that he was put to death that we might be made alive. This morning, in verse 31, Jesus is led away as a, slam, as a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus is, does not try to escape his execution because he knows that if he dies, we can live. What about that this morning? Calvary is the place of paradox. Calvary this morning, Colossians 2 in verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all your trespasses. Jesus died that we might live this morning. I'm glad there's more to this life than just life itself. 
The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 30 that if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. I'm telling you, if this is all there is to life, then life is miserable to live and to down here a few years on this earth and to gain a few things, a few corruptible treasures only to die and let it pass away and for you and I to pass away. If this is all there is to live for, then it's vanity within itself. Oh, but I want to say this morning, I'm glad there's more to this life than this life here. Thank God there is another life. Amen. And Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse number 13, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. There is an abundant life this morning in John chapter 5 and verse 24. He said, verily, verily I say unto thee, he that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. That is a paradox. How can death bring life? I'll tell you how. Because of the one who died. He is the giver of life. He didn't stay dead. Hallelujah. He got up on resurrection morning and because he got up, thank God we're all going to get up one day. Hallelujah. Calvary. The place of paradox. It's the place where death gives life. Where suffering gives rest where sorrow gives joy, where poverty brings riches, where captivity gives freedom, where judgment gives mercy. The cross is truly the greatest of all paradoxes. It was history's most tragic event, the saddest spectacle that man ever beheld. It appeared on that day on the cross for Satan to be Satan's greatest victory, Christ's greatest defeat, God's greatest manifestation for the hatred of sin, the darkest hour of history, the appalling bloodthirstiness of the wicked, man's sinfulness at its worst. It appeared to be the end of Jesus, the end of hope and the end of salvation. But in reality, it wasn't. What looked like the darkest day was really the brightest day in history. What seemed to be the most saddest event today looking back it is the most glorious event what seemed to be nothing but death and judgment and pain and agony in reality it is mercy it is peace it is pardon what looks like captivity on the cross is really freedom thank God what looked like a death is life I'm telling you what looked like God's greatest hatred for a man's sin is nothing more than the outpouring of God's greatest love and God's greatest greatest compassion for man within himself. When man was at his worst, God was at his best. I'm telling you, friend, it is the paradox of all paradox. I just want to say bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, I thank God for Calvary this morning. Hallelujah. His death on the cross was God's way of closing the curtain on the Old Testament economy. The darkening shadows of sacrifice and on and on suffering of death after death and the burden of a long-ended period of time that seemed to have no end. Calvary was the reopening of a curtain, the dawning of a new day, the fountain that would forever flow, that any sinner that would ever plunge beneath it 
could be free and could be cleansed of all their sin, their wickedness, and their violence to the vilest of saints. I want to tell you, the dark day in history of Calvary was God's way of outpouring his salvation, outpouring his love, outpouring his mercy, outpouring his goodness. When they took that spear and ran it through the side of our Savior, they did not know, but they opened up a way so that every man, woman, boy, and girl could come by way of the cross. He suffered it all, and the world does not understand this. It is a paradox to them. What looks so bad looks so good. How can the cross look so bad from one side, but it looks so good from the other side? How can the cross, what seems so grievous, is really glorious? That's why we preach a bloody cross. I'm glad you didn't have to come this morning and I wouldn't go to church where you heard some little watered down sermonette. Amen. I'm telling you, every preacher worth his salt ought to preach a bloody Calvary. They ought to love the blood, amen. They ought to preach about the brutality of Calvary. They ought to preach about the suffering of our Savior as he emptied himself on the cross that day. You say, why? Because though it looks so gory, it is really glorious. I'm telling you, the world looks at it and says that rhetoric is strange. That logic doesn't seem right. But to us that are saved, what is foolishness to this world? It is the power of God and the salvation. I love the old rugged cross, don't you? I I cling to the cross of Calvary. I say sing one more song about Calvary. Preach one more sermon. Tell the old story one more time. The paradox of this world is nothing more than pure joy and pleasantness to those that are saved this morning. They don't understand it. And When I heard the cross, I didn't understand it. There's still things about the cross that I don't understand. So what do you mean, preacher? I don't understand, even though we can explain it. My logic cannot perceive it this morning. I can conceive it. I cannot conceive in my mind how that God would give the only son he had for the vilest of sinners, the Ted Bundys of this world, the Jeffrey Dahmers of this world, the Adolf Hitlers of this world. Oh, you say, but preacher, I know that God would save sinners, but would God, he'll save any sinner. For I've got a news flash for all of us this morning. My sin was just as black as Adolf Hitler's sin, as Jeffrey Dahmer's sin. That's Ted Bundy. You say, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a, I'm not a killer. I'm not a tyrant this morning. I want to tell you, our sin was so black that day at Calvary that God, who is so holy, who is so righteous, uh, turned his face from it. Uh, I, cannot, uh, I cannot comprehend. I cannot conceive. Uh, I cannot hardly explain all of that. But I'll tell you what I can do with it this morning. I can accept it. I can believe it. I can receive it this morning. And that is the great message of the cross is that you don't have to understand everything about Calvary. My friend, God's mind is bigger than our mind and God's work is bigger than our work. But if you'll just bow beneath the drippings of the cross and say, dear Jesus, here I am. Take me as a sinner. I receive you and I receive the cross. You can be saved this morning on the terms of the gospel.
This morning, Jesus was born to die so that we that were already dead could be born again to live with him, to never die again. The paradox of Calvary is that God would die for man, that the innocent was willing to die for the guilty, that the captive could go free because the free volunteered to become a captive this morning. I want to ask you this question. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? I'm not preaching John chapter 5, but I read it this morning. When Jesus walked by that pool of Bethesda, you know what those people were doing? They were waiting for the angel to come down and stir the waters. There was a man by that pool that had been there 38 years waiting for an angel to stir the waters. Jesus walked by and asked him this question, Will thou be made whole? It's the most important question you'll ever be asked. And the man said to Jesus, How can I? He said, every time I try to go, get in, he said, someone goes before me. He said, how can I accept someone helps me in the waters? I want to tell you this morning, what that man needed was not an angel coming down, stirring the waters. What he needed was the Savior. I think there's a lot of people, they're waiting on angels. They're wanting some out-of-the-body experience. My friend, you need to you need to look for Jesus. That man's greatest opportunity was not the angel coming down, but it was the Savior who was passing by. He was the only one who could help that man where he was at. And sinner, you're just like that lame man. You're every bit as sick as he is. You can't save yourself. You can't pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and get out of the sin hole that you're in. But there is a Savior. There is a cross there is Calvary. I want to tell you this morning, nobody in this building has to go to hell. Nobody here this morning. I'm not preaching the text. But in John 5 and verse number 4, it said there's two words, the word whosoever and the word whatsoever. Because it doesn't matter who you are, sinner, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And whatsoever your state of sin is, Jesus died for it. He'll save you. I looked and read the Old Testament a lot this past week and I marveled at how much death is in the Old Testament. I mean, they lived by the sword in the Old Testament and they died by it. We think about David, the great psalmist David. The man that was after God's own heart. And he was. David was a murderer. An adulterer. A liar. So don't talk about David like that. It's the truth. God put it in that book. And just as dark as David's sin was, ours is. There's blackness in all of us. I'm glad Jesus died for every sinner. He'll save any sinner that'll come. 